Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. It can be easy to forget, but the San Francisco Bay is a natural marvel. Made up of hundreds of square miles of glassy water, it's teeming with all manner of fish and waterfowl, and is considered one of the most important ecological habitats in California. But dive beneath the surface. And there's more in the bay than water and sea life. Also in the mix now, trillions upon trillions of tiny bits of plastic. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth. And today, we're going to be speaking to the researchers behind a recently completed study that sought to put a hard number on just how much plastic we're putting out there. Well, we went out to San Francisco Bay and looked for microplastics, and we found unusually high levels in the surface water of the bay and in the sediment. That's Rebecca Sutton. She's a senior scientist with the San Francisco Estuary Institute, which helped carry out the study. This was a three-year study, a pretty extensive and comprehensive. For surface water, we went out and trawled uh, the surface of the bay, skimmed it with nets. And after three years of work, a lot of lab tests, and a whole lot of counting, the final plastic tally is staggering. We estimated 7 trillion microplastics are rushing from our urban landscapes through streets and into creeks and storm drains and then out to the bay. Just to repeat that figure, that's 7 trillion, with a T, pieces of plastic making it out to the bay each and every year. It's been an eye-opening figure for many since it came out. So to learn more about what's driving this astronomical number, I met with Dr. Sutton near her office in Richmond, right along the Bay's shoreline. So 7 trillion, I mean, that's a number that I think for most people is hard to even wrap your head around. What? As a scientist, what do you make of that kind of number when you encounter it knowing that it's out in the water? Well, we're definitely very concerned. We know we're making more plastics every year, and we know this stuff is persistent, so it does not break down in the environment. It just breaks up into tinier pieces that more wildlife can eat. Tell our listeners a little bit about what we should be picturing. We're looking out onto the bay right now. We can see the Golden Gate off in the distance. Uh, the water that I'm looking at, it's sparkly, shiny. It looks clean uh, to the naked eye. But you're saying that there are actually probably many, many, many billions of little tiny pieces of plastic out there? That's right. And this stuff is primarily too tiny for us to see. So microplastics is really anything smaller than five millimeters or a piece of popcorn, an unpopped kernel of popcorn. So uh, when you think about that, a few of these particles you can see, but many more you can't. Some of them are little bits of foam, fragments. We also see fibers, some of which could be coming from our synthetic clothing. And so when we say plastic, it seems like a catch-all term, but it could mean many different kinds of materials. Right. We see polyethylene, polystyrene. We see rubber from vehicle tires. So we, it's a very diverse contaminant, and the impacts that can, it can have on wildlife can also depend on the plastic chemicals, the size and the shape of the plastic. So you looked at how much is out there, so we know it's getting out there. Do we know how it's getting out there? 
Well, we see that it's rushing from our landscapes during storm events. So we see these really large levels in our stormwater, and we see higher levels in the base surface water after storms. We also see daily discharges from our wastewater treatment facilities, and that's from all of our homes and businesses, all the water that goes down the drain. That water is treated, so a lot of microplastics are removed that way, but some do escape to the bay. So storm drains are sort of at the center of all this. Right, we saw really high levels in stormwater, 300 times higher than wastewater. And almost half the particles we saw in stormwater were these black rubbery particles. They were really hard for us to examine in terms of the polymer with our spectroscopy techniques, but we hypothesized that these might be rubber from vehicle tires. And we've since followed up with an additional technique from a different laboratory, and a couple of these particles so far analyzed do appear to be tire tread particles. Tire tread particles making it all the way out into the bay. That's right, our tires, you know, we're driving around. The tire is gripping the road, keeping us safe, and little bits of tire come off. They, that just lingers on the landscape until the next rain. So that's a pretty easy story to wrap our head around, the, the tire tread particles washing off into the drains and washing out into the bay. What's the story that we should have in our mind for how the rest of the, that plastic is making it out into the water? Well, there's so many sources because we do use plastic in a lot of different ways. So obviously, all of that single-use and disposable plastic, a lot of that ends up as litter, unfortunately, and that can break into smaller pieces and get out to the bay through stormwater. Uh, then, of course, there's a lot of indoor home use of plastic, and when we wash our synthetic clothing, that clothing can shed little fibers, and those can sometimes make it through the treatment plant and out to the bay. So a lot of different sources, and a lot of it, honestly, are sources that I don't think most of us would think about. Most of us probably feel a little bit guilty when we take that plastic cup and, and throw it in the recycling bin or throw it wherever we might throw it, but you're saying even something like washing our clothes can contribute to this problem. That's right. This is a fairly new and evolving field and uh, a few years ago we didn't know nearly so much about microplastics and just how prevalent it was in the environment. Exactly. Well, I do think that there's some growing awareness of microplastics. I think that this is a term that more and more people are aware of. How much do we know about what kind of impact these microplastics is having on the environment, having on us? Well, that those are tricky questions right there. So the the trick with microplastics is we do have lab studies showing impacts but we also see that these impacts really depend on how sensitive the species is, the size and shape of the plastic, and the plastic polymer. So it's really difficult to come up with a safety threshold, like what would be safe for the bay versus what would be causing harm to our wildlife. And we have even less data, unfortunately, when it comes to human health. So this is a really tricky toxicological problem. Meanwhile, uh, this stuff is persistent and we're making more and more each year, so definitely something to address sooner rather than later. Well, especially with seven trillion washing out each year, I mean, it, we don't know what the threshold is, but seven trillion seems like we must be getting close, perhaps. <laughs> right. If we're not at the threshold, we're probably going to reach it in the future if we keep on with the business as usual model and using all this plastic. All right, well, Rebecca Sutton, thanks so much for your insight. We appreciate it. Ah, thank you.
I want to remind everyone who is tuning in that you're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Today, we're speaking with the researchers behind a new report which found that 7 trillion pieces of plastic are washed out into the San Francisco Bay by rainwater each and every year. Once again, we just finished speaking with Rebecca Sutton, a senior scientist with the San Francisco Estuary Institute. Up next, what is there to do about all this? Well, that report did come with some recommendations. Quite a few, actually. So now we're going to speak with one of the people who helped put those recommendations together. Uh, that would be Carolyn Box, the science program director at Five Gyres. That's a nonprofit research group searching for ways to reduce plastic pollution. Carolyn Box, welcome to KCBS In Depth. Hi, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for coming by. And I'm going to risk repeating some of the points that we just made uh, with Rebecca a second ago, but I, I just feel like I have to dwell on this uh, for a moment because. I mean, this is something we, we talk about a lot of serious topics here on KCBS, but this is something that honestly keeps me up at night because putting out all that plastic into the world, it's this giant, uncontrolled science experiment that we're running on ourselves. We don't know yeah. what this level of plastic is going to do. And once it's out there, it breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces, gets into all the cracks of the world, and we'll never be able to get it back out. So we're just we're, we're making a new world every day. It's true. Yeah, it is concerning. Um, and it's something that keeps me up at night as well. Yeah, hence uh, all the research that you've put into this. So it does seem like this is something that is getting more attention. What was behind the original push to put this three years of research into this particular topic? Yeah. Uh, well, the issue of plastic pollution uh, has been front and center for a few years now. Uh, but the organization that I work for, Five Gyres, uh, we've been uh, carrying out expeditions since 2010. Out into the ocean? Yeah. Mm. So these are expeditions. These were expeditions that were really exciting and new to many people. So we were really going out into areas where plastic pollution had not been studied. And we, it was questionable to know if there was plastic in all of the oceans around the world. So those early expeditions were really focused uh, on our oceans and what was out there. Hmm. But more recently, as we've learned more and more about the issue, we've moved our efforts closer to land to really look upstream at solutions. So this is why the research in San Francisco Bay is so important, because we can identify what are the pathways and what are the sources, and then really think about what kind of solutions upstream can we focus on. Mm. All right. Well, let's talk about some of those solutions right now, because you yourself had a hand in putting together some of the recommendations that came yeah. along with this study. Uh, and there's a lot of things on the list, as we alluded to a moment ago. I don't think that we're going to be able to get to all of them, but uh, let's tick off as many as we can. I think a, a good one to start with, because it seems like kind of a, a little bit of a no-brainer, is uh, this term called green water infrastructure. Tell us a little bit about what green water infrastructure is and what that could do to solve this problem. Yeah. So these are green stormwater infrastructures, and these are basically green spaces in our urban areas. So these are areas where the city has removed uh, cement and replaced that with permeable uh, spaces. Whether that's like permeable pavement or yeah. tan bark or yeah. something that water can actually get through. Yeah, and there's something called rain gardens, which are engineered green spaces uh, in urban areas that SFEI actually has carried out uh, research on to understand how effective these spaces are at 
cleaning up or filtering microplastics. And the good news is that those spaces are a good tool to uh, filter out microplastics. So the study that they did uh, found that more than 90% of the microplastics were filtered out when, as the runoff ran through this uh, space. And so that's kind of the key word that we're going to be bumping into again and again is filtration. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of what we're looking to do is find ways to stop that plastic before it enters the Mm -hmm. waterways. So, yeah, and I think even bigger picture than that, we really want to look upstream on how to prevent these plastic particles from entering our environment and having us have to filter. So that's sort of the bigger picture. But filtration is a good technique when to help work towards solutions. So filtration in, in the environment and filtration at the wash machine level and uh, further upstream. Right. Well, yeah, what you're talking about there is reducing the amount of plastic that we uh, consume in general. And that touches on another one of the recommendations that is made in this report. You're also calling for more restrictions on single-use plastic items. Uh, We've already seen a lot of this throughout California and throughout many local areas, whether it's a ban on plastic bags or straws or plastic utensils. Um, A lot of cities are thinking about this. Uh, The state has even taken uh, some moves in this regard as well, but it sounds like you'd like to see more of this. Why is that? Yeah, uh, I think we have seen a lot of uh, movement towards reducing single-use plastic items in, in communities, especially in California. But I think we are hoping that we can push uh, this even further. Um, Berkeley just passed a, an ordinance uh, called the Single-Use Foodware and Litter Reduction Ordinance that really tackles and requires plastic pollution t- uh, or plastic, or single-use plastic items to be reduced in a number of ways. Um, and we'd love to see ordinances like that one replicated in other areas, maybe in San Francisco um, and other areas around um, the state. And why, just explain, I mean, this may be obvious, but just lay out the basic logic here. Why do you see a plastic ban really helping to drive down the amount of plastic that's making it out into the environment? As individuals, it's really hard for us to walk through our daily lives and not use plastic. And that's a pretty much that's unfair uh, because these companies are throwing these plastic items at us every day. Mm. And so these policies are really trying to weed out some of those really badly designed products. Um, These are the products that were designed uh, to be thrown away. They aren't recyclable. They're ending up in our environment. We only use them for a few moments. So these are the items that we're targeting. So these are those, uh, the stirs that you get in your coffee, Mm. straws, utensils, uh, coffee cup tops. Mm -hmm. You know, and single-use items um, like that are really our target. And Mm -hmm. so these are the the items that we can uh, easily eliminate. Mm. Uh, but then we're also looking to disposable foodware. And so this is plastic packaging. Mm-hmm. This is what everything is wrapped up in. And we see a lot of that in uh, coming in, out of the results of this report. Mm. Uh, so we can link that to what we're seeing floating on the surface of the, the uh, bay. So we saw plastic fragments. Um, and these plastic fragments can be linked to these larger items breaking down. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's worth dwelling on. Even these larger pieces of plastic that make it out there, eventually mm-hmm. they break down and become microplastics. Yeah. And so this project only targeted the smaller items. So our sort of what we were looking at was five millimeters and below. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't look at the larger items, but there are efforts to understand what types of uh larger plastic items are in our environment and what kind of items are making it out uh, on our out to sea, you know, mm-hmm. on our beaches and in our bay. And so the 
through these studies, we're really seeing that these are the single-use items. The top items that we see are, are foodware and mm-hmm. uh, single-use plastics. Yeah. For uh, the reverse end of this argument, though, I want to bring in a different perspective real Mm -hmm. quick. I actually reached out to the American Chemistry Council. Mm -hmm. That's a wide-ranging trade organization, which Mm -hmm. includes many uh, companies in the plastic industry. Uh, Wanted to hear their take on any potential plastic ban. Uh, Got back a statement from Tim Shestick. He's a senior director of state affairs for the council. He says, quote, everyone should agree that far too much waste, including plastics, end up in our environment, and California is uniquely suited to leverage private sector initiatives and lead the way to modernizing, struggling, recycling infrastructures. But he also argues, quote, a ban on single-use plastics is not the answer to marine litter. Compared to many alternatives, plastics help to reduce solid waste, energy use, water use, and greenhouse gas emissions. So what do you make of that argument? And you hear different versions of that from people, this notion that if it wasn't plastic, it would be something else, and it would be some other material, perhaps a more problematic material. Uh, we got to use something. Yeah, I think my response to that would be to really think about our systems that we have in place. And when we're designing products, whether it's plastic or it's made of another material, we really need to, need to think about the end of that, the end life of that product. And how are we going to recycle it or how are we going to be able to reuse it? Or if it ends up in the environment, how bad is it for the environment? Uh, and right now, our systems are so broken that when we have a plastic item that's put in the recycling bin, there's very there's a very little chance that that's actually going to get recycled. Mm. Uh, so it is likely ending up in a landfill. Uh, and you know that's another issue, but much of that uh, pl- many of those plastic items are also ending up in the ocean, which is where I focus. Uh, so that's that's really, I think, sort of a big picture concept that we all need to get behind to really, to really address the issue. So in some way, is your argument that the uh, ban on these items are going to push the whole system to move in a direction where it's, it's, it's forced to make items that consumers can use that are more environmentally friendly, more reusable? Yeah. And uh, the statewide efforts that you referenced earlier uh, in California are really forcing, would really force us to think about the products and design products that have less plastic in them. And if they do have plastic in them, are they compostable and are they recyclable? So mm-hmm. this w- the recyclable component is really challenging because a lot of plastics, uh, they may be recyclable, but they, they are not getting recycled. Um, so I think hopefully with a policy like that in place, we would see innovation and we would see new products coming um, on the market. Mm. Want to, one last time, remind our listeners, this is KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into some of the events and trends shaping life here in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, we're making that dive into the waters of the San Francisco Bay, where we are likely to find trillions upon trillions of tiny pieces of plastic, that the finding of a recent study. We are now looking for solutions from Carolyn Box, the science program director at Five Gyres. That's a nonprofit research group which helped lead the study. Let's go on over to another area of suggestions that uh, we're getting uh, accompanying this study. And one of the really troubling materials that you found out there are all the fibers from our synthetic clothing. 
Uh, it's kind of unnerving to think that the clothes that we're wearing, just by washing them, were contributing to this problem. Uh, but this brings us back to filtration once again. And one of the recommendations that you have is that we could do a better job of filtering our clothing uh, washing machine water. Yeah. So uh, there are some studies coming out that are showing that filtration uh, on our washing machines is uh, an option, and it actually is successful at removing uh, the fibers. Uh, but I think what we discussed during the development of our recommendations is it would be great if we could put filtration on all of uh, the washing machines that are out there, and maybe that will be the future. But right now, we need to prioritize where we're going to put these filtration systems in our um, community. So one of the ideas that uh, a lot... One of the ideas that we talked about was uh, carrying out a pilot project to really understand filtration on different types of washing machines. So we could look at uh, commercial and industrial. So these are the laundromats and uh, bigger washing machines that are out there and residential and see where can we get the biggest bang for our buck. Where mm. are we? If we're going to spend money to put filtration filtration systems into our community, where can we uh, you know, be the most successful at removing the most fibers? If a concerned individual right now wanted to take it upon mm -hmm. themselves to put a filtration system on their washing machine, could they do that? Is yeah. that something that they could figure out how to do? Yeah. There are filtration systems that you can install um, on your own washing machine at home. And I think this is a proactive, if you want to, if you're trying to live with less plastic in your life or generate less plastic pollution uh, from you personally, this is a really good step for you. Well, I think that that's perhaps a good entryway into another conversation that I ha wanted to have with you in terms of, so we've been talking a lot about policy so far and mm -hmm. how with laws we could maybe bend the bend the curve and bend the incentives and mm -hmm. all this. It's a complicated system, as, as you're pointing out. Any one of these decisions, you, you kind of have to decide what level of this process you want to intervene in. And it's all, you know, whether we're talking about industry or whether we're talking about individual households yeah. or whether we're talking about, you know, something higher level like the cities. There's, there's so many different ways that this can be augmented and changed and uh, it's a really complicated system, but let's boil it down for our listeners that are just thinking, I don't want to be a personally a part of this problem. Yeah. What is your advice for the individual person to reduce that plastic footprint for themselves? Yeah. This is a big question. It's a big and question. We're leaving it wide open for yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I have thought a lot about how I can personally reduce my own personal uh, plastic mm -hmm. footprint. Yeah. And so there are easy steps that I'm sure many people have heard of. Uh, bringing your own cup to get coffee, uh, avoiding single-use plastics, uh, making decisions in your daily lives just to opt out of single-use plastics. So that's that's uh, well discussed, mm. uh, at least uh, in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. <laughs> uh, but I think in terms of microplastics, it's really interesting to start thinking about how what kind of choices can we make to reduce uh, uh, microfibers or these fibers from entering um our environment. Mm. And so it's really uh, synthetic uh, textiles and synthetic clothing is something that's really uh, common. Uh, and so I think starting to look at tags and really think about what products are made of uh, is something that I encourage people to do. Um, I think if you're up for it, putting filtration on your washing machine is uh, a good step, but I think there's other things you can think about. This is buying products, buying clothing, and products that last a long time. Because studies are showing that the first time that you, or the first few times that you wash your clothing, 
more fibers are released into the uh, environment or into mm. the system. So, so it's washing the new clothes that are really releasing mm-hmm. the most. And so if you buy fewer clothes, then you're having fewer of those first-time washes. Yeah, or if you buy uh, products that you're going to have for a long time or mm-hmm. you go shopping, uh, at, you know, you buy things that are already used. So uh, we're making so many products these days, which, you know, in every sort of aspect of this, that that there's just too much that we're all buying. So mm. it's, uh, this is a really good example of that. Uh, you know, we, there's so many options to buy new outfits or new, um, things for your home mm-hmm. that, uh, we need to buy products that last longer and that we stick, that stick around in our lives. Mm. I want to bring things full circle for the last uh, couple of questions that I'll throw at you. And so we started out talking big picture. What are the policies? What are the laws? And now we're kind of going to the more personal. What can you personally do? Mm-hmm. How, how do you how do you think about balancing those two things? Because obviously we do all have a personal responsibility yeah. to take accountability for what we're putting out in the world. Yeah. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine fixing these problems without some higher level yeah. solutions being sought. Uh, how, how, how do you think about the balance between those two. Yeah. Well, when you think about the really big solutions to the problem, we really need new systems and new products. We need to go way up to the companies producing the products, and and they need to take responsibility for the the end of the life of that product. Um, it's really unfair for us to have the burden put on us. Um, so I think balancing that, though, I think as individuals, we can shop with our um, dollars, and we can uh, have that power. But also, I think all of us can set an example for our communities. And so, when we bring our uh, mug to the coffee shop, or I used to bring a mason jar with me every day to work, and I was pretty much the only person that brought my mason jar mm. to get a coffee. And people would wonder why does she have that mason jar. So I think people it, it gets people to talk about things, and it gets people to think a little bit more about their own personal plastic footprint. You mentioned a second ago, this is a set of topics that is pretty familiar to people in San Francisco in this region. Uh, The term that comes up for me in all this is crunchy granola. You know, it's a little hippy dippy. But what do you think it'll take to bring awareness beyond that? I mean, how hopeful are you that these are a set of issues that people will be thinking about more critically uh, throughout the country? Yeah, no, I think that this is not just a California sort of movement. This is definitely much wider. We're seeing a huge growing um, interest in understanding products more and understanding the companies that are creating the products um, in younger people. So we're seeing a lot of uh, this movement of living plastic free or trying to live zero waste growing. Uh, And yeah, so I think there's a lot of positive uh, action there. And I think in the Bay Area, bringing it back to the Bay Area, there are a lot of small companies in the Bay Area that are encouraging uh, this plastic-free living and providing tools. So I have a small company called Goods Holding Company, and we're putting on a plastic-free holiday market in December at Fort Mason. And so all of these small companies are coming together to really uh, show and uh, share the tools that we've all created to help people live plastic-free. Well, and that's even kind of a movement in and of itself. I went to a festival that was uh, for Boba uh, recently, and folks there were specifically making non-plastic products for Boba. So it it does seem like no matter what domain you're going into, this is a set of issues that people are thinking about. No, it's a great... It's a great movement, and I am seeing, and we're seeing it so much more. So I think 
it's something that's positive and really helps me uh, keep going because it is somewhat of a downer to really always focus on the pollution in the environment. Mm. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to have to round things out for today. We have been speaking to Carolyn Box. She's the Science Program Director at Five Gyres. Carolyn Box, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. This has been KCBS In-Depth, a reminder you can find past episodes online at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Thanks for listening. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 1069, KCBS.